Oh, good morning, church. So good to see you, live church, and our live stream church as well. And I know we have some guests here this morning. I want to say to you, welcome home. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to be a part of our family here at Vero Christian Church. Now, uh, soon after World War II was ended and those soldiers were coming home, there was a spike in the divorce rate. So a lot of those wives had gotten used to running their home, and when the man came back in, it was a volatile mixture as a spike in divorces. There are some experts who are predicting there'll be a spike in divorces following this coronavirus lockdown, because a lot of husbands and wives are spending more time together than they're used to spending. If China is any guide, several cities in China reported record high numbers of divorce filings in early March with long backlogs at government offices. Well, I want to speak candidly about divorce today. Now, let me back up for a second. We've been in a sermon series since February entitled Obey Everything, and that's taken from the Great Commission. Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. So what we've been doing is mining the gospel of Matthew for the commands of Jesus, revisiting them reaffirming them, talking about how we can put them into practice and obey them. And today, we're going to be dealing in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where most of the commands of Jesus are, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and what Jesus had to say about divorce. Now, I know there are a lot of divorced people. There are in our congregation, or we have family members who've been divorced. I know that there are people right now who are going through a divorce in our church family and some who are watching live stream as well, because I just know some of the circumstances in our family. And so, you know, folks may feel a little bit awkward or tense about that. Oh, I picked the wrong Sunday to come back to church. The preacher's talking about divorce. I hope to assuage any anxiety that you may have. I will tell you right up front, it is not my intent or purpose to guilt anybody or to shame anybody. Jesus has a very high, strict standard for marriage, appropriately so, but I don't think that's his intent either, is to make anybody feel guilty or to shame anyone. So if that happens, uh, it's because of my poor communication, not because of my intent today. I think regardless of our own marital history, we can all agree that it is a worthy goal to strengthen and reinforce the marriages that we are currently in. And that's what we want to do today, as well as laying a strong foundation for our singles who may be looking at marriage in the future, we want to lay a strong foundation for that as well. So with all that being said, uh, let's look at what Jesus taught uh, about divorce. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. You have heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, I'm going to approach this under three headings this morning. They're each kind of questions. And the first one is, what are some common questions about divorce? I want to just deal some, immediately when you read this, some questions come to mind. Let's supplement what Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus' further teaching in this area in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. The question is posed to Jesus, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he replies, haven't you read the Scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, 
Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus is reinforcing the ideal that God had in mind from the very beginning, that a man would marry a woman and they would remain married for life. However, he says, because of the hardness of the human heart, concessions were made in the law of Moses. For instance, in the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we read, if a man marries a woman, it becomes displeasing to him. Because he finds something indecent about her, he can write her a bill of divorcement. Now, originally, displeasing to him because of something indecent had to do with sexual immorality. Human nature, being what it is, over time, that became more liberally interpreted. So, for instance, uh, if she was an indecent cook or if she was an indecent conversationalist, or if she was an indecent housekeeper. And by the time of Jesus, 1,600 years after the law of Moses was given, given, divorce was very common, and attitudes about it were very relaxed. So Jesus is reinforcing the ideal right here. But a couple of three questions. Let me anticipate these and, and give you my opinion on them. I'm just going to qualify this. This is my opinion on how these questions might be answered to the best of my ability with my study. Number one, he says, uh, the woman is caused to commit adultery. Has, she, has he or she just committed adultery? Or are they, is a divorced and remarried person living in a state of adultery? I do not believe that someone who's been divorced and remarried is living in a state of adultery. Uh, for instance, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. It was covered up for a year, but uh, uh, it became exposed. And there were many serious consequences of that. But they continued to live together, and he was not required to kick her out of his home. Uh, a second question, is the unfaithfulness referred to here just a one-time action or is it a recurrent pattern? Now, a one-time affair will break the marriage covenant and that may wind up breaking the marriage. The Bible also tells us to forgive one another. So oftentimes it is possible for forgiveness to be exercised and there can be reconciliation in the marriage. But if there is a pattern of adultery, and then the marriage becomes irreparable, and that is grounds for divorce. Here's another question. Is a divorced person permitted biblically to remarry? And I believe, yes, they are. Uh, initially, just the giving of this bill of divorcement was to enable the woman to remarry. Are there other biblical grounds, so to speak, for divorce besides adultery? Well, we have this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So that's abandonment. So we have two biblical grounds for divorce. They are adultery and abandonment. There are two other conditions that are not directly addressed in Scripture that I'm going to talk about. They also begin with A, the letter A, and they are addiction and abuse. Now, if a, a woman's a member of my church, a wife, and she comes to me and she says, you know, every Friday night my husband gets drunk and he beats on me and he beats on the kids, I'm going to advise that woman to get out of that situation, to remove herself, to separate, may or may not lead to divorce but just for her own safety to get out of that situation. Now, 
because the Bible has a very high standard of marriage and we preachers want to communicate that, I think sometimes unintentionally we give the idea to Christian women that they're in, if they're in an abusive situation that God expects them to remain in that abusive relationship. And I do not believe that is the case at all, nor in the spirit of what Jesus is teaching. And I base that partially on this last sentence right here on the passage that's right up there on the screen, that God has called us to live in peace. So we're looking at different questions about divorce and adultery and abandonment, and there's abuse and addiction. But the fact remains, having said all that, there's still a lot of divorces that take place today, not for any of those reasons, but for what Barbara Whitehead has called expressive reasons. In her book, The Divorce Culture, Barbara Whitehead, Whitehead writes, people want to express their rights, have their needs met, answer to their own desire without regard to the consequences of others. In 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The grace of God covers all sin, including the sin of divorce, certainly is not the unforgivable sin. I already mentioned David and Bathsheba. You also have Jesus who encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, and she's been married and divorced five times. She was living in an immoral relationship, and yet Jesus offered her living water. He's given her the opportunity for salvation. He accepts her evangelistic efforts on his behalf. So obviously, the grace of God covers these situations. But having said that, we are not to take advantage of the grace of God or look at it as a license for, to sin. And if somebody is thinking, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy in this marriage. We have irreconcilable differences. I've prayed about it. I've got a peace in my heart. God doesn't want me to be miserable. Uh, it's okay with God if I divorce. I would say, really? You might want to rethink that. Because the Word of God has made it very clear, His high standard of marriage. And God is not going to give us a subjective feeling that contradicts what he has spoken in his written word. All right, so that's heading number one. Just some common questions about divorce. Heading number two, why does the Bible have such a strict standard on marriage? Why is it so strict? Why does God want us to stay together even if there's incompatibility? Moses 19.8 again, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Let me say three things here. Number one, this standard is in place to benefit the married couple. Staying married is best for the husband and the wife. New York Post did a survey in which 80% of the people who had been divorced in retrospect looking back on it, regretted it and wished that they had worked harder to preserve their marriage. 1 John 5, 3, John writes, this is love for God that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome, including the command to stay married. And in, in, in many ways, this is simply an issue of faith and trust. Uh, when we come to God, we must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Do we believe and trust that God knows the best way to live? That God's way will result in an abundant life for us? Or are we going to follow what the culture says? We're gonna tr so we want to trust God. This is best 
for the married couple themselves. Number two, why, is, why such a high strict standard on marriage? For the benefit of the children. Judith Wallerstein, in her book, Second Chances, Men, Women, and Children, a Decade After Divorce, writes this. Children from disrupted marriages experience a greater risk of injury, asthma, speech defects. They're 70% more likely to be expelled from school. They're much more likely to have a divorce in their own lives later on. Now, there are exceptions to this. Granted, I know that. There are exceptions to that. But we're just speaking in generalities now in statistics. A recent study of crime showed crime showed no correlation between crime and poverty, but the major predictor of violent antisocial behavior was whether a child came from a fatherless or a father-absent home. And we'll say a little bit more about that next Sunday on Father's Day. So Jesus loved children. He gathered children to himself. He hugged on them, loved on them, prayed for them, and he warned, don't do anything to harm these children. Their angels always have the attention of my heavenly Father. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean than to do something to harm one of these little ones. Well, somebody's got to say the truth. The truth is divorce is harmful for children. Again, not that they can't overcome it and have a good life, but it is harmful. And then thirdly, talking about why such a strict standard on marriage. Thirdly, is for our gospel testimony. For our gospel testimony. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has been teaching on marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Good teaching on marriage. And then he says in verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I mean, how often are we going to hear that? It's in Genesis. It comes from Moses. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Paul. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. You heard that? Title of a book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And the title and the phrase is to point out how different men and women are, not only physiologically, psychologically, emotionally. We're just all wired up different. We're very different. And this sometimes leads to incompatibility, incompatibilities in marriage. It's like the guy who got married. And soon after the honeymoon, he's there in the basement, and he's working at his workbench, and he's loading you know, shotgun shells, getting ready to go quail hunting. And his wife, is just, she's watching him for a little while, after watching for a while, she says, you know, honey, you know, I've been thinking, now that we're married, uh, maybe you don't want to spend so much time here in the, the basement and working on the, maybe not so much time hunting, maybe not so much time fishing, maybe you want to sell your, your bass boat. Yeah, we could spend more time going to museums and art galleries and, and spend more time together as a couple. Well, he got this sh- shocked look on his face. And she said, honey, what's wrong? He said, well, for a while there, you sounded just like my ex-wife. She said, ex-wife, I had no idea you'd been married before. He said, I haven't. Now, that's not only just a bad joke. It's illustrative of the whole Mars and Venus thing. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. They think differently. They approach things differently. And so this sometimes leads to incompatibilities. Why? Why did God make marriage between a Mars and a Venus? Why between such two different kinds of people? You know there's going to be strife and difficulty. Why would he do that? Why not a Mars and a Mars or a Venus and a Venus? A woman says, I get, so much, I get along so much better with women. Well, of course you do. And men say, I, get, I like being with the men. Well, of course you do. You're just like them. Why the Mars and the Venus? Is this some kind of cosmic joke? 
that God is playing on everybody? No. It's not a cosmic joke. It's a cosmic parable. I won't say anything more significant than that right there. It is a cosmic parable. Now, a parable is a story with a spiritual point. Paul is writing all of this about, you know, getting along in a marriage. And then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. At one point, Jesus was asked about marriage in heaven. He said, well, there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. We're going to be like the angels. But later on in the Bible, there's a little clarification on that. In fact, there is marriage in heaven. There's one marriage in heaven between Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, you talk about Mars and Venus. You talk about two different types of beings. At least you've got a man and a woman are both human beings. God is a being that is ontologically different from a man or a woman. I mean, in his, in his essence, God is a, a holy being. We are unholy and unrighteous. God is a divine being. We are human beings. God is an infinite being. We are finite beings. And yet God is entering into a familial relationship, drawing us into this marriage, so to speak, with himself. Talk about incompatibility. Look what it required to make that happen. It required Jesus to suffer, sacrifice, and die on the cross to make, Paul says, the bride, the church, acceptable to God. Your, the very incompatibility in your marriage and the fact that through agape love, we overcome that and we stay together is a parable to the world. It's an analogy. It's an illustration of what the gospel is all about. I got to tell you something. You folks out there on Facebook with your perfect marriages, and you say, oh, I've been married for 30 years, and we haven't had an argument. My, uh, he completes me. She completes me. We finish each other's sentences. And we, you know, we're all this compatible. I worry about you. Number one, I don't believe you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But not really. You know. The rest of us in our normal marriages are like, I'm not sure we believe that. But on the other hand, I kind of worry about you because in a totally compatible marriage, how are you supposed to grow spiritually? How are you supposed to learn anything about forbearance and patience and sacrifice and love and grace and mercy? Now, what happens is when we Christians divorce for irreconcilable differences, that whole witness the gospel witness is undermined. When you invite a young couple over to your home, they say, how long have you been married? And Stephen Becky Barlow was just talking to them earlier today, 47 years. Oh, we've been married 47 years. How do you do that? You must be super compatible. No, we're not super compatible. We're, we have a lot of incompatibilities, but we're Christians. And because of Christ, Christ has shown us, he's shown us how to love each other. And Christ loved you that way too. You see the gospel witness that's involved there gospel witness. Okay, and I'm going to say um, one more thing here, one third kind of question heading. How can we divorce proof? How can we divorce proof our marriages? 
just say three very simple things. Number one, don't live together before marriage. If you're not married, don't live together before marriage. That is not preparation for marriage. That's preparation for divorce. 50% of people who live together before marriage never make it to the altar. They break up before that even happens. And those who get married, having lived together beforehand, are 50% more likely to divorce afterwards. Chuck Colson said, dating couples that abstain from sex are more likely to build the emotional, intellectual companionship and what's more, they're building the self-restraint so crucial to being a faithful husband or wife later on. Number two, enter into that marriage with a permanent mindset. It says Christ is the foundation of our relationship, and we are not going to get a divorce. That's just not going to happen. Permanent mindset. So, you know, we could talk about so many different things. You know what they are. We're just talking about a permanent mindset. It's all about our mindset. After Christopher Reeve was paralyzed from an equestrian accident on Memorial Day in 1995, he wrote that while in the hospital, on a ventilator, paralyzed from the neck down, he felt so hopeless. He mouthed the words to his wife, maybe we should let me go. He wrote, his wife, Dana, started crying. She said, I'm only going to say this once. I will support you, whatever you want to do, because it's your life, your decision, but I want you to know that I will be with you for the long haul, no matter what. You are still you, and I love you. That's the attitude. I'm with you for the long haul. I love you. And when things get hard, two Christians will find a way through instead of looking for a way out. Permanent mindset. And then an unselfish mindset, finally. Paul writes in Philippians 2.3, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. We sacrifice for the other person. Sometimes people think, man, if I sacrifice myself, I'm going to be a doormat. I'll just be miserable. Well, that's part of the point is realizing it's not all about me. Marriage helps to teach us that, even our relationship with God. It's not all about me. It's all about God. In marriage, it's not all about me. It's all about her. It's all about him, all about the kids. And as a side benefit, we may find out that's where true joy really comes from is in that sacrifice. Matthew 16, 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Doug Phillips is an expert on the Titanic. He wrote a book about the Titanic, and he said, the movie missed the point. Focusing on romantic love missed the point. It wasn't about that, he says. It was about sacrifice and duty and love. He said, as as a rule, in general, with very few exceptions, the men on the Titanic, knowing there were not enough lifeboats, gave up their seats on the lifeboats for their wives and their children. They spoke final words of endearment, and then they let them go, and they went down on that boat. Doug Phillips writes, For 1,000 years, this principle has guided Western civilization. Simply stated, the principle is this. The groom dies for the bride. The strong suffer for the weak. And the highest expression of love is to give your life for another. As John writes, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Men, let me ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. But if that was you on a boat like that, in that situation, would you give up your seat for your wife, for your children? Would you give up your life for your wife? Would you die for them? I have no doubt. Just about every man in here in his heart is saying, absolutely, yes, I would. I would die for my wife. I would die for my kids. Then why don't we die to self and live for them? That's what Christ 
has done for us. Our Father in heaven, we pray today as we reaffirm our commitment to obey everything that Jesus commanded. We pray in our individual marriages or in our singleness as we're looking forward to maybe being married someday or even staying single, that in our situations we will do in obedience and love and faithfulness that which glorifies you, which, by the way, leads to the very best, most fulfilling, abundant life possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.